0: My dad would cook for him, and all the guides lived in this little, we called it the Mouse in the Hall. I mean, it was just a little rundown shack. I'm
1: kind of an addictive person. If I ever get on drugs, I feel like it's over. <laughs> all right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, looking forward to this episode. We've been trying to put it together for a little bit. Uh, we got a busy guy on the other end of the line. Uh, ben Higdon with Higdon Outdoors. He's a vice president there at Higdon and a uh, really interesting guy to talk to. I and I both know him well and uh, have enjoyed working with him. How's it going, Ben?
2: Great, great. Hey, and you guys are the ones that are busy. Don't put that on me.
1: <laughs> well, you're busy doing important stuff. We're busy spinning our wheels. <laughs> uh, I think that's all of us. Uh, how's it going, Ben? Good,
2: good. Beautiful day here in western Kentucky, so can't complain.
0: Our favorite time of year, tax season. That's what I was doing today, running errands for the accountant.
2: Yeah, I thought you were going to say turkey season, but yeah, tax season. Okay, I can get there.
1: Ira must be on. Well, only only one one
2: extension.
0: Ira's one thing treat. season. What did you say? Fishing? I said you.
1: You must be on extension season, Ira.
0: Oh yeah, there's the turkeys haven't been treating me very well, but I'm sure the tax man's gonna treat me worse. So.
2: Yeah, they they always uh. I always deliver. <laughs>
1: uh, best best part about the best way to avoid taxes is to not make any money. So I'm there. You guys, good <laughs> luck to you. Uh Ben, we kind of want to in theme of this podcast, you know, we hit on business and and uh entrepreneurship and things like that. Your story with Higdon is is an interesting one. It's a company that you know a lot of people know in the outdoor industry. It's a name synonymous with waterfowl. Um more recently, it's real synonymous with um, different kind of innovative products and different companies that kind of fall under the Higdon umbrella. So, you know, that's where we are now. But taking it back, uh, rewinding it a little bit, kind of take us through a little bit of how Higdon started and kind of how that family business came to be. And and let's kind of work our way through through that for some folks that that don't know.
2: Yeah, sure. <clears throat> you know, uh I guess that's, I think everybody who's in the outdoor industry, certainly the waterfowl industry, most of these are, are people that are love to hunt, you know, and they're passionate about it and have a good idea. And then that kind of rolls into something more than they ever thought it would be. Um, and you know, that's kind of what happened with us. Um, you know, my dad back in the early 1990s, um, you know, had a vision for motion decoys, right? What, of what our staple is today what we what we do best and still innovate today um you know he had an idea for a you know a spring neck goose decoy he called it the finisher and you know at that point there really wasn't any motorized motion decoys out there to speak of um you know so he was a little bit ahead of his time with with uh with that concept and you know really, you know, my dad, uh, my family here in, in Paducah, uh, comes from, you know, a variety of different businesses. We have a furniture store. Um, we have, a uh, uh, Higdon food service and a big real estate, uh, you know, company and things like that. And, um, you know, my dad wanted to go out and do, uh, make a decoy factory. Well, they all thought he was crazy. Um, they were like, Mark, You're gonna go out and pump your money in. We've got all these great businesses we can build off of, and you're gonna go make a a decoy factory. And it was not expensive, or not cheap, to get in the manufacturing side. So anyway, he kind of (laughs) pushed through that. He's stubborn, Uh, you know, wouldn't take no for an answer, Um, and went over to Metropolis, Illinois, uh, built, uh, rented a a building from the city, and put in paint booths and a um, you know a full uh, you know, system to manufacture decoys and started making the finisher motion goose decoy. Um, and you know, I guess for, you know, for me, I was in high school at that time and we were hunting and I was into hunting, but I wasn't just crazy diehard, but man, I, you know, he had a farm down in Ballard, um, really cool place. I don't want to get too off track here, but Uh, It was like on 30 foot stilts in the backwater and, you know, slept 50 people and they ran a a big club out of there. We went and set this system up at all those pits. There was a lot of paid hunters, you know, we run 30, 40, 50 people a day through there. And man, these birds just absolutely ate it up. I mean, it really back then, you know, they weren't seeing that, right. There were tires and, you know, people had plywood cut out like a goose and, uh, you know, that was the decoy spread. Some people had Bigfoots and stuff like that. But the motion, like, I mean, you could see it. Like, these birds would literally, um, you know, you could see them key in on it. You could move them around on the spread. That's where they landed. It was wildly effective. So And this
0: finisher goose decoy?
2: Yeah. Yeah. The finisher goose decoy. Yeah. Um, and so, so I think that we we kind of all saw that and knew, I mean, that's just business, right? You see something that works and you, you're like, man, this is, this could be something. And uh, so anyway, you know, we, we uh, built the factory up and, um, you know, spent two or three years kind of fumbling through it and, um, you know, finally got into Cabela's, I think in 97. Um, and started making some other decoys, things like that. And, you know, through that whole process, you know, I kind of fell in love with manufacturing, product development, uh, and kind of turned into a a decoy nerd (laughs) in some ways, uh, just from a a development manufacturing standpoint. And, um, you know, I hopped in there, and I, I guess my second year in college, which was 2000, I had a car wreck, and um, you know, through that, um, I didn't go back to school. I started working there full time, and and you know, never stopped. I've been doing it ever since. Uh, so it's it's been a it's been a pretty interesting journey. Um, we had you know, we've been through so many different things in the development of this business, uh, but in two thousand one you know, it was probably our biggest hurdle we've ever had. We, you know, we had a fire there uh, at that facility in Metropolis. And I mean, you could literally, it was such a big fire with all the paint and the decoys and all that stuff. You could see it across the river in Kentucky, um, you know, eight miles away. Uh, it, was, it was so much smoke. It was a really, really bad fire. Um, but, you know, to stand outside, um, in that parking lot and watch all that work that you put your heart and soul into burn up and burn to the ground was, you know, that was kind of that pivotal moment, right. Of, you know, do we quit? Do we keep going? Like it, it was, it was pretty devastating. Well, um, so,
1: so Ben, okay. But at that point to what year was that?
2: That was 2001.
1: So before that, when you get when you came out of school, um, you you had done two years in college and then you had the car wrecked, and you come back to work, how many folks are working at Higden at that point in time? How many employees did you all have? Oh,
2: we had uh, I believe we had 14, 15 people um, working there in the factory at that time. And were you guys
1: uh, okay. taking things from start to finish then?
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. We were making it start to finish. We had started building some really cool automation. Um, You know, we had already uh, like three of our paint booths were were automated where they were, you know, running off sensors and spraying some base colors on. Yeah. So that's the path we were moving down. Um, and, And, you know, I think that that's really what's given us an edge all these years is that core understanding of the manufacturing process and we've always been able to lead in that way we never follow we're not going to a factory who's making this decoy or or whatever and, you know today we, we we build that process we direct the factory to say do it this way and then you know others will, will chase us um, and I think that's why we've grown and, and done well is that core manufacturing knowledge.
1: Okay. So that, so that gets us, that's kind of just, I just want to clarify that because I thought, you know, that's something that it's not like you guys just, it's interesting to see. It's not like you guys just hopped on and we're like, well, we can find a factory to make us a product. We've got an idea. I mean, you guys started by making the product. Yep. You guys have, you guys started in the decoy game about as ground floor as what you can, aside from, you know, running, running a all wood decoy. I mean, you know, as far as mass producing decoys, you guys were doing it in a, most grassroots family business way that that, that you could have been, it sounds to me like.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, it it literally started with an idea, um, a patent on that idea, and then an investment to manufacture. And it was the true uh, American dream, kind of old school manufacturing mentality, um, you know, that's been present. And really what makes this country so great, Uh, you know, as, as people having that vision and being willing to go out and take that risk, uh, which I commend my dad for, you know, he put, he, he went all in.
0: <laughs> so, so you guys have the fire. Oh, go ahead, Ira. Well, I'm trying to remember, maybe i remember wrong, but from, from what I was remembering, you and John were kind of doing some other stuff and you, and you had the fire and wouldn't your dad kind of like disheartened and kind of just ready to throw in the towel and you guys came and kind of, took over and, and gave them some ambition to, you know, do whatever it took to keep it going or do I remember that wrong?
2: No, I mean, that that's not not exactly like that. But, I, you know, I guess we immediately after the fire, we tried to outsource manufacturing uh, in the U.S. for a year. Um, and my dad had a massive brain aneurysm, um, you know, that year in 2003 three if I remember correctly um and you know he's still with us here today and you know still calls me every day talks about <laughs> decoys and you know he's still doing his thing but you know that slowed him down uh big time and I, I I think probably if John and I would not have stepped in at that point and said hey we're gonna we're gonna take this thing and run with it then that that you know he he was not in a position to to keep the business going And I think that's probably what you remember yeah.
1: Yeah. So so at, at the point of the fire, both you and John are both working, your brother John are both working at at Higdon, correct?
2: That is correct. Yep.
1: And so you guys, so is that when the new warehouse and facility and all that went in at Paducah?
2: Yeah. So we went and we came and rented a a building here in Paducah. And um, you know, that of course, man, the fire set us back. Uh, pretty far, right? We lost all of our contracts, all of our purchase order, everything for that year. Um, and you know, my brother, um, he he kind of he was helping with the business, but he was uh, doing computer consulting and and building a, a business with with uh, one of our friends. Um, you know, which honestly, I'm glad he did because that helped him mold him uh, from a process and system standpoint today uh to make us good at what we do but um you know we didn't have the hardly have the money at that point to fund anything except for purchase orders so i, I think if, if i'm pretty sure i was the only full-time employee i think we may have had one other guy at that time um to kind of piece all this back together right uh find the find our manufacturer re-engage from a sales standpoint um you know get all our products back in production the marketing the whole 9 yards uh so yeah that that was you know i guess that's what i mean that fire was a pivotal moment for uh, this business
1: and and so you've got you've you've gone from let's say what we were saying when you started let's say a dozen or 14 people and now higden is an i would call it an industry leader in several categories but now you're now you're employ i mean how many people does higden employ now about the same or has it
2: no no today i think we uh, i've got somewhere between 38 45 50 depending on season you know obviously we're we're uh heavier we're staffed heavier in the in the uh hunting and hunting season than we are right now but i think we've got 38 today
1: that's pretty and the thing i always thought was cool about higdon was or the thing about that's cool about the culture of the place is it really you know everyone always kind of says it but it, the time that I've spent there at your all's places, it's been more like a, it is more like a family. You could tell it's a family business because everything from dinner and lunchtime and your mom, I mean, your mom was there cooking and stuff. I was like, what the hell is going on here? This is crazy. <laughs> but uh, it was really, it was a really interesting uh, workplace and it was pretty cool um, dynamic there. Yeah.
2: Well, I, I appreciate that. I mean, that's a, that's important to us. I I think that we kind of grew into it that way. You know, all our family has always helped the business and been involved in the business. And that's just how, you know, what it's grown into. And, um, you know, we kind of view it as if you're going to come here and work here and, you know, invest in us and, you know, say, Hey, this is where I want to build my career. then we treat you like family and, you know, got each other's back. And, You know, we'll go to bat for anybody that that is employed here. And honestly, even the people that have left and moved on, I'm still great friends with a lot of them. Um, You know, my mom cooked lunch today. uh, For she cooks lunch for everyone's birthday. So you know, that's about forty lunches a year. (laughs) That's pretty quick. So she cooks about every week. Um, And yeah, and outside of that, you know, it's just how you know, try and treat people the right way. And I think we all respect each other. And and um, I, I can't tell you how many people have come in here from the outside over the last five years and said, this is the hardest working group of people I've ever been around. And, you know, there's really no better compliment than that.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's. So does that
0: go up, up when mom's cooking to all your neighbors come from, uh, across the street and smell the fried chicken, and like, well, we're here.
2: You know, I see a lot more people on the day she cooks than on the day she doesn't. I'll, I'll just say it that way.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, it's not would not be uncommon to have 50, 60 people in here on those days. And she loves it. You know, it's like the more the merrier.
1: That's, so awesome talk talk a little bit because i know with the work that you guys are doing and the amount of work and that's what that's the time that i've spent down there is like people people are i mean it's, it's a cool environment but people are most definitely working i mean this guy's in here working on this this guy's working on that obviously there's some crossover but it's pretty not that people don't wear multiple hats but especially now it seems like you know that's the guy for that and not that he doesn't do other stuff but he's focused on you know you got you got guys on a, online and it seems to me like um it's just super efficient that way. But talk a little bit, Ben, about the people that you have, because you can have a, a great culture and definitely a culture in a company is what makes a huge difference. But you've also got to have the right people too. And you, I feel like you guys definitely have had and do have some of the right people in place uh, in, in all of your companies.
2: Yeah, you know, I, and it's a, the, I mean, the people are what make it happen, right? That's what it's all about. Um, and, you know, I think that our, kind of our, our business historically was, if you were here, you were wearing multiple hats, (laughs) right? We had one guy doing social media and tuning calls and, you know, another person answering the phone and doing shipping and, you know, so on, whatever, right? We kind of all just hop in and got it done. As we've grown, uh, to your point, um, you know, we've tried to get, get that dialed in better where, People are owning uh, uh, their sector and 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 making it better. But uh, yeah, we have a great sales team. Um, You know, Bo and Brooke, and you know, even uh, you guys. Sometimes uh, when you can uh, join us on the shows, and uh, just a amazingly talented uh, group of guys in product development and and, um, you know in marketing. Really, really talented. Uh, young and just have the world in front of them. I mean they're gonna be stars in this industry over the next 10, 15 years. I guarantee you um that they're just you know really good at what they do. But really you well, know, I
0: mean, that are are go ahead they're and they're really, really good people. I mean like, you know, the people that you have working for you, there's people that are good at their job and, and whatever else. But I mean those guys are legit like Really, really, really salt-of-the-earth good people. I always enjoy spending time with them. They're always positive. They are always super friendly to people, no matter what's going on, good situation, bad situation. You know, when, when people ask me about <clears throat> the other people that are part of the team, I'm like, well, the main thing I can say about them above everything else is that they are legit, really, really, really good guys.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: That's hard to come
2: by. I agree, a hundred percent. All good guys and friends, and you know, it's a it, it's a really cool group. Um, and EMP, you know, I'll spend just a second talking about that. You know, when when we decided we want to wanted to uh, make a TV show and kind of saw, you know, ten years ago, everything's changing over to digital media and things like that. I um, I went to high school with Kurt Stewart. And he had just um, always a creative, really talented guy. And uh, he had just started a EMP, um, you know, videography uh, firm here in Paducah. And they were doing weddings and commercials for banks and, you know, stuff like that. And uh, called him up. I was like, man, you want to come with us and, you know, shoot this TV show? And we're trying to put one together. And, you know, we, we can't do it like we can we're hunters and we can get out there and get the footage, but we can't put it together and make it exciting. Tell a story. He's like, yeah, I'll come try it. And went out there and, uh, man, he couldn't duck and land right in front of us. He's looking over his shoulder. He didn't know where the hell anything was. I was like, Oh my <laughs> God, what are we doing? This is the, this is a train wreck. But anyway, he got there and, um, you know, the persistence in with EMP and getting someone who's a creative talented guy to learn about hunting um, has built this awesome team you know really under him and under that that brand um where we do all kinds of outside client work you know have some great industry partners we work with do great um, you know generate commercials and websites and you know graphic design for all kinds of different companies and obviously for us internally um but it's all about the people right i mean a bunch of talented guys that get along work hard and there's just no limit to what they can do one
1: one thing about emp that i'll say is that those guys you know every every different hunting show it seems like it has there's their strengths to, and, and not to say that a lot of shows, some shows might not have a whole lot of weaknesses, but they're, they definitely have strengths. The good shows don't have, hard, you know, a lot of weaknesses, but but you can look at a show and say, okay, that show has a really cool storyline or that show has, goes to some really cool destinations or blah, 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 blah. The one thing about Higdon TV, while I don't really feel like it has that many weaknesses, one of its strengths is the footage of the birds And the footage of the products and use tied in with that, not like in a commercially way, but just strategically placed using them, how they're meant to be used and the bird footage. I don't know that there's anybody that gets better footage of the birds in the hunting scenario than what EMP Kurt and Johnny and Nathan and all those guys do. It's, uh, it's, it's gotta be, it has to be industry leading. I've heard so many people, you know, say like, man, I don't watch a lot of TV and I turn it on and I see Higdon and it's like, what the hell is this? Like, you know, they might not have watched outdoor TV in a little bit. And, you know, they're used to, they're used to old, whatever XHA ones with, with, uh, you know, the mini tapes and stuff. And they're turning it on seeing this high def, incredibly captured stuff. It's, it's not it's not normal the uh, the the stuff that they get. that's for sure,
2: yeah I, I agree and I, I I mean, I think that all stems from having you know the a, a talented guy like like Kurt, Johnny um you know and and Nate and Bo and Kurt, I mean they they just all work together so well. and you know we are in a wonderful position here as a business where our goal, um, for the tv show our youtube channel everything is not to raise money you know honestly it, i mean it's about we want you to go hunting at locust grove and the camera's right beside iron Macaulay, and we want you to feel like you just hunted with it <laughs> you know what i mean uh and you know that's the goal not hey can we show this widget or this these shells or whatever and sell the customer on it because we're trying to generate 20 grand or whatever, you know, it's just not that. That's not the mission. Um, of course we want to make money, but the value is about the experience, the brand, you know, getting to know the product and the people indirectly in a way, right? It's not a hard sell. Uh, it's supposed to be fun. Um, it's supposed to be educational. Uh, and, and that's, you know, it's supposed to be about what we love as hunters. Uh, it's not, not about the products.
0: The the other thing, and I'm taking, I'm, I'm old. So I've taken a lot of different TV crews hunting through the year, but all that stuff starts with organization. And those guys are, they have good equipment, but they're so organized. I mean, every time we go hunting, they have a checklist, they stick to it they make sure as much as they may not want to fly the drone or jack with whatever, go back to camp and get another battery. They are going to check all those boxes every time. And uh, I mean, you can just tell with the final product, you know, that like every single rock's been looked underneath and overturned. And, you know, if you don't do that, you can, you can tell with the final product is you just don't have it, you know, it's just not there and they always have it.
2: Yeah. No, they're, they're good stuff. For and sure.
0: it's nice. The thing I like, I, we don't have to, I'll end the the
1: part. I got, I got a couple other things I want to get to, but I'll end the part on EMP with this saying, you know, putting the right people in the right spot. You know, a lot of hunters that I've seen that are hunters first and cameramen second, they understand what we're doing, but they can't capture stuff like what those guys can who are artists yeah, first. And it's, it's so shout out to EMP because you, well, you guys all, you know, all of your digital stuff looks awesome. Uh, so good job to everybody. Who's part of that. It's, it's just a cool part of the business. Yeah, thank you. Uh, So here's one, Ben, and Ira, you can help answer it too. It's kind of a twofold question. But, you know, when Mo Marsh, Ben, when you guys bought Mo Marsh uh, as a company, one, I want to ask you, what kind of drew you to Mo Marsh as a company? Why would that be a company that you'd want to bring kind of under your umbrella or into your family of companies? And then, Ira, why would you want to sell to Higdon whenever you had other folks that you might have had an opportunity to sell to? What was that? I mean, I know what it was kind of like and kind of what it came down to, but explain that um, because it's it's interesting to me. Who do go? you
0: want to start? Or <laughs> or?
2: Well, I, I I can start for sure, and um, I've got the easy question. I think he's got the hard question: is why us? That's a that's a tough one. But um, why Mo Marsh, I mean, my God, who Mo Marsh is amazing, and so like, it is to the core um what how a brand is developed and when i say it's developed through solving a problem right a solution a solution for a hunting situation right um like i have so much respect for that the product line that was built the brand that was built um you know, all of it. I mean, it's just a, what an easiest decision that I've ever made in 20 years is is Mo Marsh a good fit here. (laughs) I mean, it's like, it just complemented every single thing we do. Um, You know, Higdon has never um, focused on those types of products. And honestly, even though we all use dogs and things like that, we just didn't know it inside and out like Ira does, and through that, he you know, focused on it, built the right, built the products, built the brand. I mean, it's just a perfect fit. So that's that was the, like I said, easiest money spent, easiest decision that I've ever made in this business.
1: and how well, and before you start IRA, how has that how has that transition been? Has it been kind of what you thought it was going to be been? has it has it fit the needs and 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 provided, you know stuff for your customers, like what you were hoping that it would?
2: Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. It's been what I thought it was going to be and more Um, any shortcomings with the uh, deal, the Mo March deal, you know, that we did, you know, four or five years ago, whatever it was, is um, on our side, Um, you know, from an execution of, um, you know, really getting those concepts that Ira was focused on and bringing to life and bringing to the customer, continuing to do that at that rate with that quality, um, you know, has been, I I wish that was going faster. Um, And, and, you know, we were just like had 25 products a year and we're just killing it. Um, But it's been a little slower, I think, than than we've wanted it uh, to be. And that's okay. We've learned a lot and um we've got a lot of great stuff teed up and you know i i'd do it again tomorrow so
1: cool i i I agree i agree with you obviously from an outsider's looking in it 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 seems like it's been awesome and it seems like the company's you know it i'm sure part of the reason ira sold it which i'm not going to speak for him but i know that there's things that higdon could offer from an organizational standpoint, a people standpoint, a logistic standpoint that we just weren't able to do whenever we were I was working at MoMarsh. That so just it's just not possible with a couple people and part time and all that stuff. I mean, and and just the limitations that that were there, um it's just cool to see what Higdon has able to been able to do bringing it in.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, the unfortunately the, you know, world even in the outdoor industry as small as it is, it's complicated, you know. The requirements from um, the customers, and you know, things are changing so fast uh, in the world today. Uh, it, it's a it's a lot of work, man. This is not a hobby, you know. Business. It's a it's a very complicated, um, you know, business. It's a lot of work. Uh, so, yeah. Anyway, hopefully, we've done Mo Marsh justice and and represented what you guys worked so hard to build uh well and you know hopefully over the next five ten years it's even better that's the
0: plan right that's the plan (laughs) so from my standpoint um and kelly's kelly's in the room so good
2: thanks for telling me i won't say anything
0: yeah, I'm going to speak freely because she did have surgery on a neuroma last week. So she's got a cast on one leg and she's on a scooter. So all if you right. take off running out of here, that means she's coming coming after me. So just uh, keep that in mind. Uh, if you oh hear the clack, you know, if the scooter falls over, I'll let you know what the noise is all about. But uh, for me, I had just so many things going on. I mean, yeah. you know, that's in the clinics and Momarsh, and she was I, she kept saying something's got to give and i kept saying well we'll sell it when it gets to this point and then i'd move the bar and i'd say <laughs> she well you got to sell something and i'd be like well now I'm, and then i'd move the bar again so she was kind of on me to get rid of something and Momarsh was the thing that made the most sense because we owned it outright i didn't have any partners in it um And it was it was pretty nimble, you know. So anyway, she finally kind of broke me down, and uh, uh, really, I wasn't very motivated to sell at all. Um, I knew it was growing by leaps and bounds, and of course, you just you don't no one has a a crystal ball, so you don't know exactly what the future is going to hold. But everything was going really well, so I really only talked to two people. And I think everyone that's listened to this would understand my passion of the business, like being a veterinarian. Sure. I love it, but I'm not passionate about it. Like I was with Moe Marsh and, and am about hunting and still am about Momarsh. Marsh. I mean, there's no one that's a bigger fan than me. Um, so one of the companies was a private equity company, which oddly enough is still involved, but at the time, they were very interested in purchasing it. And then I talked to John and Ben and being a passionate, dyed in the wool, grassroots guy, I was like, and, and seeing what had happened with other businesses that had sold to private equity along the way. And they just kind of lost their identity and and just, you know, and I think a lot of things have changed over time with private equity in general in the veterinary world across the board where private equity really has come more full circle where they understand the importance of the community of the business that they're buying and they don't try and come in and just mandate things and, and cut with a hard budgetary knife and all that stuff. Um, I've seen it change multiple fronts, but the main reason that I wanted to sell it to John and Ben was because their family and their community was so similar to, the way all my businesses were, which was, you know, Aaron and I had the clinics, we're brothers. Uh, you know, the the hunting side, we were small. And so I wanted it to still be in our little world of duck hunters. I wanted to sell it to people that were similar to me and that were as passionate as I was about what we're doing and that really understood what was going on and weren't just gonna take it and just look at it from a black and white numbers financial standpoint. And so that's what we did. And, you know, anytime that you buy or sell a business, you might think it's like buying or selling a, a home or a car or whatever, if you've, you've never done it, but it's an exhaustive process. I mean, there's so much There's so many different things to go into and so much disclosure and so many this is and that's and everything else. I mean, it's a miracle that anyone's ever able to get a deal closed by the time all the attorneys and everything else are involved. It's a painful process, right, Ben?
2: Absolutely painful.
0: I mean, I don't know what a divorce is like, thank God. I might after this podcast, but... (laughs) um, But yeah, it's, it's like, it's, it's very exhausting and it makes you really question. I mean, God, you know, I mean, the lawyers are like trying to protect everyone's best interests, but in, in that whole process, they're also putting you at odds with the other person, even though, you know, everybody knows from the beginning what the good, the better for the whole would be, but then, you know, they're, they're fighting hard for your interests And it's just a, it's just an odd deal. Um, So we get all that done. And, uh, and then who knew that, that so many things would change in the world. Like, you know, the tariffs, we had no, we basically paid no taxes on anything except for the Invisalab for the most part, everything else, furniture. And then, you know, Trump, uh, like him or hate him in our world, he didn't, he didn't help our business by the tariffs that, that he put in i mean they were there for a reason but it it, it's something that's gonna be passed on to everybody that's consumer right and then COVID happened and all the container stuff and just you know items and just all those things and so you know it damn near killed me when i sold it i was like what in the heck have i done and then you know as time goes by and you just kind of digest it all it took me about a year to come to grips with with you know not being the owner of Momarsh anymore then you know you get to be part of the new team and and enjoy and appreciate all the things that come with that and still be involved to the extent that you can and uh and then not having to deal with a lot of those things that would have been huge headaches for me um and and tough for the business in general um you know, I've come full circle now to where I'm like it's all good. um, you know, everything that's happened has happened for a reason. We're in a good spot. The brand's still growing and powerful and and everybody's working hard to continue to bring new items to market that'll continue to solve problems for people and so you know i'm I'm good with everything uh about the sale and the relationship although it wouldn't a, it wouldn't a seamless road on my side to get there uh just because you know that was my that was my baby like selling the veterinary clinics or some equity and we still own equity in it but you know that was that was pretty easy uh turning over the rain snow marsh was pretty hard so but yeah. it's it's been great it's he been said he great. took
1: a year to get over it it was a fucking it was a full year that's for sure might have been <laughs>
0: but <laughs> it was a year times two
1: right
0: hey you're not on this podcast Kelly
1: remember Kelly knows it was a year or more
2: well yeah. uh, I mean it, it's funny you know and I, I don't know if we've ever even really talked about this it's kind of funny to be doing it uh here while we're being recorded but uh you know I could totally feel that you know and I I cannot tell you how many times I've stepped back and thought man like i just can't imagine going through that process and and selling right and eventually you know who knows we'll probably be in that position someday right and and uh it's like such a, a mental and emotional process it's just so challenging but i guess that's kind of when i we the very beginning of the podcast said so, you know most people who are entrepreneurs and they start something in this industry it's because it's a hobby and they love it. They're passionate about it. Just imagine putting 15, 20 years into it, making something you're so proud of and then and then going and getting rid of it. I mean, it's just a, it's a tough, tough deal. So uh, I will say this though, you know, as long as I'm here, you know, as, as far as I'm considered, Mo Marsh does not exist without Ira, right? I mean, that's, he is Mo Marsh, right? I mean, that's that's the deal um it's just how it how it is how it has to be and um you know that's what we're going to keep doing
0: well like i said you know it's it's just pretty enjoyable to be part of the team because i mean the guys are just high quality guys and a lot of fun to spend time with and you in this industry and i may. You know, I don't think it's big news to anyone, but there's a lot of people in this industry and in a lot of industries that have big egos. You know, and and I really feel like um, in in our little Higden, Momar's community, uh, we just don't have any big egos. I mean, yep. you know, um, Brooke are just as down to earth as anybody, and uh, and that's breath fresh air. You know, they're fun to hang out with. It's pretty cool.
2: Yeah. You know, one, one thing I always like to say is, um, you know, if, if I say, you know, my brother and I are partners in this business, you know, we treat the business as like our third partner, right? Always. Uh, so it's not about me. It's not about him. It's always about the brand and the business. And if you can approach a conversation in that way, maybe two people don't see eye to eye and you just get out of that and say, you know, this is not about winning or losing or this idea or that idea it's about the brand and the business and doing what's healthy for that business you know i think those little decisions on a daily basis with that mentality is the reason for our success and and um you know it's it's just so important you know to not make it about me or you or your idea or that idea and and um and it just doesn't work so well you
0: about the brand to expand on that just a little bit you know for something that we're all so passionate about and so emotional about and all that you know you've got to separate all that from objectivity when you have a business if you want to be successful so i mean it's important to be passionate about it and be emotional about what you have going on um but then you know To have a successful business, I I feel like you have to take your preconceived notions out of it. I mean, they can be there and you can argue that point or whatever, but you still have to be willing to look at everything with both eyes open, both open, and just make objective decisions that are based on what you feel like, right, wrong, or indifferent. Not that you can't change your mind later, but what you feel like is going to be the best thing. I agree 100% so ben
1: where so you're sitting here at, at the present moment, that's the his- kind of the the brief condensed version of the history of of Higdon and how Momarsh kind of ties in, but when you yep. look when you look forward here, like in your discussions, and I know you're I know you're working. I know that you're a big picture guy but I also know that you're heavily involved in hey we're coming out with this product and this isn't working or that is working or I know you're I know you're also very involved in the day to day so but from a big picture standpoint where where is what direction do you feel like Higdon is headed in and what direction and what is kind of your goal here moving forward to you know kind of fill in the blank you know Higdon outdoors Is moving towards, you know, fill in the blank. Where what are you guys hoping to do as you move forward here? Continue on your path, take a new path. uh, You know, are you planning on? I guess what I'm saying is, is there is there new stuff on the horizon for you? Are you planning to stick into the course? A little of both. What do you see here in the next, you know, near to mid future?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, You know, i I, the the challenge of you know that vision is—it's like that. Like we've got a a new brand uh, we're we're looking at launching here uh, in the next few months, uh, more on the big game side. And you know, I—that's I, what I know. Like we need to do is expand categorically, and you know, do do things like that. But at the same time, it's like you've got to keep doing what you did to get here. Well, right. And like, that's what, um, our customers trust. That's what they ex- expect. That's what we expect is to be the best in have these innovative ideas in the decoy side and uh, continue to, um, you know, make awesome Mo Marsh items and, uh, you know, make great dog products and make great calls and all that. So, you know, while we do have some big plans, uh, for new brands, um, and some acquisitions that we we're looking at, um, right now, what I want to do, and I, I don't even really know if it's appropriate to say this or not, but I kind of want to kick everybody's ass in the industry. at what we're doing um so you know we have uh we've got a pretty special team here right now um that it's taken covid was really tough on us uh really really tough um pricing and our business was all numbers are all over the place hard to wrangle in we've had big system changes um you know, lots of challenges through COVID, and I, I this year in 2023 is the first time in a long, you know, in the last couple of years that I've been able to really feel how things are gelling, and uh, we're getting ready to we're getting ready to do some really cool stuff. So that's where my focus is right now, and I, I know it's a little bit more micro than the big picture question that you asked, but I want to win right now with what we've got teed up and then um, take some of these bigger plans and kind of evaluate uh, as that develops and say, okay, are, are we, do we need to plug this in right now? Do we need to wait a little bit, um, you know, or whatever. So um, it's tough, man. COVID, I really cope the everything that's happened in the world uh, through COVID has been more challenging from a business perspective than I ever dreamed it could have been.
1: Well, uh, it, it's, it's, Is One point that I think is interesting, you know, a lot of times companies get so focused on, you know, you just see it. I mean, you see it. You see the, I mean, insert company name, but it's like this company, they were doing awesome at this. And then their quality went down when they tried to do this, this, and that. And, you know, this company was doing this and then they, they lost a guy or they added a guy and this change or that change, you know, that gets tough. And sometimes, sometimes you don't do what you did well to get you to that point. And, and with Higdon and with Momarsh, not every company gets to this point, but I feel like you guys have on a couple fronts, and and just thinking on a you know business and sales side of things, like you're at that point that I feel like every company wants to be at in some aspects, with in, in so far as you've got products that almost another category has been named after. So for instance, the pulsator. I hear people call other companies products. The Pulsator, because that's just what they think that that is. You know, we got a motion decoy in the water. Whether or not it's actually a Pulsator or not, people call it a Pulsator because the Pulsator revolutionized and and started that class. It's the same with the Invisalab. You know, whether it's an Invisilab or not, I hear people say, oh, I've got an Invisilab. It's not a Momarsh one, but, you know, it's like, well, then it's not an Invisilab, but I know what they're saying. It's like Momarsh revolutionized the dog stand, you know, and so, and people will call a final stand, even if it's not a final stand, they'll call it a final stand. And you hear hear them do it with Coke, Coca-Cola, people will call any soda Coke. You know, it's just, it's interesting when you see a, a product gain enough traction that they start calling the whole category of products that name. So, it, it, you guys have done a great job with that. And, and to your point of, don't forget what got you here. It's just that's kind of remarkable whenever a product starts to transcend a product class and and kind of become the the name for the product class. So, it's just it's interesting. That was just a point that I was thinking of as you were talking.
2: Yeah, no, that's uh, that's really cool. I, I I guess I don't get to see it quite that way because. Sometimes I feel like somebody may say pulsator and they're just saying it <laughs> because I'm there or something like that. But, right. uh, you know, the, yeah, the, the, uh, uh, big foot decoy, right? Everybody still calls, says Bigfoot on, on those, uh, full body decoys with the feet on them, no matter who makes them. And the, right. Uh, Mojo has done a great job, uh, marketing and, and, and building that. So, yeah, I mean, that's the cool stuff, right? That, that over time, I'm sure you feel the same way, Ira. Um, you know, over a 10, 20 year period, you kind of build that brand equity. And, um, you know, it feels good. I mean, that's kind of the fun stuff, right? That's, that's, uh, that's the stuff that you're proud of. And um, so it's all about that, you know, all that is, it's just, um, it's just about having a vision and seeing it all the way through, uh, you know, foam filling or the bright decoy or the pulsator or, uh, you know, the final stand and the lab the, I mean, uh, man I think is one of the most coolest innovative items. Um, you know, it's been a hard to get consumers to learn what it is. Uh, I got a demo it for me two or three times before I figured it out. It's ingenious. Um, but yeah, man, that's, that's it- fun.
0: Yeah, my old employee Josh Ditch, who's a hell of a taxidermist, but he was really our only employee that was full time anyway. I was trying to explain it to him. He's like, what are you even talking about? What what do you he was like, this is this it doesn't make any sense, but it's 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 good product, fun product. Um it really is. Uh I wanna circle back just real quick. Um Because so many people, and I'd be curious how you guys transitioned from uh, domestic manufacturing after the fire to, you know, sourcing stuff overseas. And, you know, there's so many people even still in today's world that are like, Chinese shit is junk. It's just, it all is just worthless junk. And obviously we have a, a whole lineup of products that come from China that are, you know, high quality and turnkey and, and, and all that. So when you guys, when your factory burned down, how did you go from domestic manufacturing right there in metropolis to sourcing stuff where it made the most sense? And one, and one yeah. other thing, Ben, I know
1: yeah. you got, I know you've got something going on after this. So y- when you hit on this, we'll, we'll hit on this and then we'll kind of wrap it after that. Cause I know you got stuff going on. So sorry to keep you.
2: No, no, that's all good. That's but fine. I do want to hear
1: the answer to this.
2: Yeah, pretty, pretty interesting uh, story uh, and how we did that. I would say this is, I don't know if this is how you're supposed to do it, this is how we did it. Um, You know, like I said, after the fire, we were resourcing in the U.S. and going through that process. That is what I was focused on. I was working with a company um, in uh, Evansville, Indiana, um, and trying to get all that set up My brother was on online looking at different factories that were, you know, could potentially make decoys, right? And we found a guy over there that was not making decoys. He knew about plastic, said he'd be willing to work with us. And his, uh, he was actually grew up in Ballard County, Kentucky, which is where I hunt. And um, his grandfather and my grandfather were like, you know, went to school together and kind of a weird time. He lives there in China. Um, so that, the guy's name's Jaith. And so anyway, John emailed this guy Jaith, and he uh, sent us some information back and we kind of worked out. Didn't even have pricing 100% dialed in. We just knew that it would work based on the information that he had provided. And I, uh, we we built this uh, monstrosity of a pallet. It was like this metal reinforced pallet it had all of our tooling on it and stuff uh, that we salvaged through the fire and shipped it to China. Um, got the ETA on it. I booked a plane ticket and um, met that that shipment over in China and uh, rode with it to the factory. And we spent the next uh, two months replicating our factory in Metropolis um, there, and today, still even twenty years later, um, we have just added on to that model, and no one else is doing it that way. And I know because I've been to a bunch of you know, to a bunch of other factories, and they they've chipped away at it and and copied a lot of it. But um, you know, it's just like everything else, right? It seems complicated. You get into it, and it's like how do you eat an elephant, right? One bite at a time, and that's what we did. We just nibbled at it until we saw that vision clear, and then we said we're not going to stop till we get it done. So
0: I bet you ate those two months.
2: I tell you, when when I went over there, it was right in the middle of. I don't know if you remember this. I guess it was that two thousand four, the SARS, uh, the the first big SARS deal.
1: Oh God, I don't know if you guys remember yeah. the SARS. Yeah.
2: I, I got off that that plane in Hong Kong, uh, see, I was 20, uh, 23 years old, got off the plane in Hong Kong, um, and every single person, 4,000 people in Hong Kong in the airport all had a mask on. Well, back in 2004 today, when they say, oh, they all had a mask on, nobody thinks much of it because of what we've been through. But back in two thousand four, right. you're from Paducah, Kentucky, spent most of your time on a farm <laughs> killing stuff. And you walk out in China and everybody has a mask on. I I literally almost started crying. I got choked up. I went to the phone, and called my mom, I was like, What the f- am I doing here? I I've got to get I'ma die over here. Uh but I just yeah, just move forward. So but yeah, it was miserable.
0: Hey, you blend wear a mask. Right.
2: Exactly. My mom did sneak a mask in my, my uh, suitcase because of that. So I, she's, I called her and she's like, the mask is under, you know, this. I was like, oh, thank you. So pretty, pretty wild, man. We've got, I I could literally sit here and talk for two hours about all the silly stuff that we've, we've done over the years through the business. It's, it's, there's some pretty good stories.
1: Is it, is, have you been to China lately, Ben, or is it pretty, is it pretty well able to to rock and roll over there without you making trips back and forth.
2: You know, we we just uh, no. I think it's hurt us a lot. Not, I mean, we I was going over there three or five. I've been over there sixty five times, uh, three three to five times a year every year from two thousand three to two thousand twenty. Um, and you know, I haven't been since the end. I think I was there in December of nineteen. Right when I got home the first time I'd ever heard of uh, any anything related to COVID. Um, and then that kicked off right after that, you know, right there in the beginning of 2020. And I haven't been back since. Uh, they just opened things back up where you can travel over there, but I'm going to hold off just a little bit.
1: <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs>
2: let a few other people make that trip and I'll, I'll, I'll talk to them and see
1: how it goes. I don't blame you a bit. It's kind of interesting though. You know, you think about it, Ben, you're sitting there as a, we we talk about it with entrepreneurs on here all the time and people are like, well, we started as this and then it's this and it's crazy what it's turned into. You know, you started out, you know, a car wreck brought you full-time out of college to the business and it was a family business there. And, in uh, I mean, we're in the Midwest and Southern part of the Midwest and all of a sudden, uh, you know, you're making trips, staying two months in China. I mean, you know, it's just it's crazy how things can take place, and in, in terms of events, and it's also crazy how a family company can go worldwide. Like it's just it's just unbelievable to see that. Uh, is this really us? Are we really doing this? There there had to be a yeah. moment when you got over there. You're like, what? What in the world? I mean, this is ridiculous. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, you said you told your mom that, but I, in your mind, you just had to be thinking, I can't believe I'm doing this
2: exactly no it's true and you know you're right you had a car wreck it gets you know you quit college and go do this and it works and you know we had our our fire there in metropolis and we're doing all the things we're talking about right now and probably about 2007 2008 you know we were at a position here where uh, my 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 brothers my dads my moms my grandmothers are even i think his in-law and people's pensions all collateralized, you know, for the business. And we ran that all the way down to maxed it out, put it all on the line. So
1: crazy. Crazy. It's and awesome. It really...
0: I mean, one, one thing we see in here over and over again is, you know, so many people, when you do have, when you do finally make it and you don't go bankrupt, you lose your mind and everything else. You know, a lot of people just think that it was all handed to you on a silver platter. But the truth of the matter most of the time is that, you know, you took a lot of risk. You, you worked amazingly hard and throw in a little bit of luck. And, and sometimes it all works out in the end. But it's definitely not just because you happen to be born right. You know, it, it's a recurring theme over and over again that, you know, you had to take these risks and put in all this effort and time and and give up life you know and then sometimes you end up coming out of it okay on the back side
1: well you know when you look at it right. how many i'd say 95 percent of businesses somebody had to bust their ass or go super close to being potentially broke and putting it all on the line whether that was generate the first generation the second the third whatever it was but another thing that people don't think about and i've never been um, I've never been handed a business over to run, so I can't, you know, I wish I had, but I can't I can't really speak on that. But one thing, or I'm not saying you were just handed it, Ben, but you know, taking on it as a second generation coming into a business. Yeah. yeah. One one thing that's that people don't think about is that's a lot of pressure on you guys. I mean, you know, if you start making a couple of these purchases, Ben, let's say you buy Momarch and it's a complete flop. Let's say you buy acquire another company, it's a complete flop. I mean, it doesn't 100%. take too many complete flops to to hurt Higdon in a major way. And, you know, you might not have been the guy that quote unquote founded the company, but the company's found a lot of success under you and John and have you've taken a lot of risk and and that's, a that'd be a lot of pressure. Like, Hey, I hope I'm doing the right thing because you definitely don't want to be the guy that takes the business over, acquires the business, buys the business and then run it into the ground and it's not a business anymore. And that happens all the time.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, you know, I, it's funny listening listen to you say some of that and like i i don't know i'm proud to like of course i i would love to be do what ira did and found the business from that idea and, and 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 do it just that way but i'm equally just as proud you know that my dad did that and then you know we got to a point where it was basically there's not really not much value left here and it's not going to work and to It's like that, the, all the loans and getting through that, I mean, that, you know, that's what pulls everybody together.
1: Absolutely. And that, that's what, that's what gives everybody ownership in it. I mean, you're, you're talking about putting stuff on the line. I mean, all of a sudden it goes from being a, a business that your family owns to one that you're super, super, super invested in. And, you know, you guys listen and you see that. You might not know anybody that has a business the size of Higdon or, or Mo Marsh or, or anything, but you might, maybe maybe you're in a farm. You know, you see that all the time in farms. Like, sometimes, you know, Grandpa gives the farm to his son. They, there's three ways you can go. They can either maintain and do a great job and, and maximize profitability by maintaining. And it's with a business, too. They can expand, you know. Responsibly or irresponsibly, but they can have an expansion mindset, and they can they can do it right or they can do it wrong. But you see, companies, you know, you either sit there and kind of maintain pace, get bigger, or a lot of times you'll see folks that'll get smaller. You know, uh, they don't maintain relationships. And in farming, it's it's with with landlords. You know, maybe maybe we farmed a thousand acres, and and the son can't get along with the landlords or pissed off the the renters, and all of a sudden now, you know, we've only got six hundred acres or five hundred acres. Well or maybe they did a really good job and they actually put some money together and they bought a new farm or they got some more stuff rented and and they were able to take it to new heights and bring on new people. And it's just, it's interesting how every business, I don't care if it's a business, if it's a farm, if it's a a, a partnership or an LLC or a sole proprietorship, it's just interesting and we hear it all the time, like Iris said, the common themes. There really is when 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 the push comes to shove and a new generation or a new person takes things over, there's a couple different ways it can go and and it's not, and it's not easy to just keep something, quote, unquote, going that's been handed to you. I mean, whether you bought it, whether you inherited it, whatever, there's a lot of management that goes into keeping that on the tracks and, and pointing it upwards.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Or no doubt. Man, Ira, you got anything else you want to add?
0: Yeah. Uh, hey, Ben, this year, um, you yeah. just need to come, come to Lucas Grove. I mean, no excuses.
2: I'm coming, man. I listen. I don't know. Let let's put let's let's put it up. Let's do a contract. We've got to, <laughs> okay. we've got to get some skin in the game here.
0: Let's, we'll box we, Kelly out. Put you in the truck.
2: Yeah. Perfect. Whatever. I
0: mean,
2: this is like three years in a row, and we've I've had some like a disaster or something happen where I couldn't couldn't do it. But uh, no excuses. That's over. That's another
1: point, Ben. Though okay, you like to hunt, you love to hunt, but I can guarantee you that there's been some days that you'd have really like to have been hunting, but you're not hunting. You're in the hunting industry. You're working on hunting products rather than out in the field hunting. I hunted two times in January. Oh my god,
2: awful. I, now I hunted in December. I was hunting a lot. I hunted almost every every day, every other day. But in January, I we had a bunch of stuff going on here and i couldn't do it my um, wife's pissed at me too man that was a tough tough few months there
1: you know sometimes <laughs> people think sometimes people think that these guys in the hunting industry get to hunt every day and then i've just met so many people no. that that's the furthest thing from the, the truth
2: it's the wrong i think ira was pretty good at that but generally speaking uh i would say if you want to be if you want to hunt every day don't be don't don't be in the hunting industry tim grounds did a fantastic job with that he hunted all the time i mean he's just absolutely eat up with it uh but yeah man it's it's tough
1: i think Ira's secret is have... iris secret is he turns he goes... his phone off when he goes hunting and doesn't answer the office calls <laughs>
0: the smart smart man and i have no conscience
1: no he doesn't that's, that's... for sure
0: <laughs> well yeah we have a rule at the vet clinic if you hunt you need to go apply somewhere else
2: <laughs> yeah, because you're hunting. They need to be there while you're hunting, right? Yes. Oh,
0: yes.
1: God. his vet tech people. Um, Ira, did you realize you're supposed to do this today? He, as we're sitting in the duck blind. Well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> not going to happen. Yeah, Figure so. it out.
0: <laughs> yeah. Figure it out.
1: Use it as an well, opportunity I, to learn.
0: Main problem has been you're too close to where you hunt see like you know if if my hunting place was right here by the house i'd never go because i'd always feel like i had to be doing something else but since three hours away i'm just i'm gone figure it yeah. out i won't and be you're, you're
2: you know yeah. I, I i'm not just saying this because you just said that for the very first time in my entire life this season I thought that exact same thing. I thought I've always looked at like, man, I'm not going, I'm not going to lease that place or not going to buy it, but whatever. It's th- two, three hours away. Um, it's just too far. I'll never know. And the, for the first time this year, I started thinking, you know, maybe that's the whole point. Yeah. <laughs> make, just make it a little bit of a trip and I'm just go and do that for two days. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. My wife would really like that idea. I'm sure since we got three little kids,
0: but um but yeah makes sense well i mean light bulb goes i'll get to it when i get back right (laughs) or maybe
2: somebody else will change it even better
0: yeah (laughs) yeah
1: that's one thing ira would do never he would never uh he would never excessively hunt when he had two little kids that's one thing he kind of quit while his now that his kids have grown up hopefully he can finally get out there and hunt he's been missing out a lot
0: (laughs) well you i mean that Kelly has left the room because if she was still in here none of us would be able to get into words word edgewise
1: no, I can't say much either uh but man Ben, we appreciate you coming on. I know we've been trying to do this and like I said, it's hard to get three schedules to line up, but we really appreciate it and it's kind of cool to it's kind of cool to listen to the story that you know part of, but you don't know it all and and it really kind of cool just to hear how it all how it all went you know Higdon outdoors we see the products and the and the the decoys and the new innovative products and you just kind of think that that's Higdon but Higdon really is the people and the struggles and the story and the fire and the mom and dad and brothers and acquisitions and this and that it's just it's just cool when you hear the story and you realize what the fabric's actually woven out of and and we really appreciate you coming on
2: yeah my pleasure uh anytime you guys uh you guys ever want to want to chat you just holler at me and we'll get it done
0: well, let's just go ahead and schedule it now, and then we can circle back around to it.
2: The year from now, push it back and do it here in two.
1: Yeah, no joke. Well, Thank you very much, Ben. I know you got stuff going on. Um, you have a great afternoon. We appreciate it, and we'll see you soon.
2: All right, gentlemen. See y'all. Thank you all. Later. Thanks.